I am, I've been really looking forward to, I've had lots of expectations about being here with you, just really looking forward to meeting with all of you ladies. I got to meet with the, the leadership team, the Women Mentoring Women group in February as they were planning, and I had so much fun with them that I just couldn't wait to be back with them and then meet all of you by extension. So this is just a real treat, and uh, I enjoyed my drive out. I love driving on the freeway when there's no traffic. It was just great. <laughs> it was wonderful to come out and I was actually had a visual picture of expectations this morning as I was driving out and it was just really gracious of the Lord of of how he caused the weather to be perfect for me this morning uh, which was you know it was it was foggy and it was foggy out here this morning which is unusual even you know out here and it was foggy in Burbank and and um you know, it's driving out. And as I came up over the mountains, then there was a couple times when I came up out of the mountains and there was a little bit of sunshine and then we'd go back into the fog again. And at one point, uh, you know how when the, the fog is and the sun's coming through it and it's really bright. And yet it was so beautiful as I was looking at the fog and um, we were coming out of the fog, the sun's getting brighter. And I was realizing that that's a lot of times what happens with us when we're dealing with unmet expectations that we're kind of in a fog. We're trying to overcome these things. We're trying to get out of it. And it's only as we come to the word of God that we pop out of that fog and we get it and we understand why God is doing what he's doing. And so it's my hope today that we'll all pop out of the fog even for a little bit because I went back into it even as uh, you know I was driving along and I just thought you know Lord that's just a perfect picture of what you do with our lives that that we are we're proceeding on our way towards heaven and we are in these places of fog a lot of times and as he works with us and reveals things through his word we pop out of the fog and we get it and then sometimes he takes us back in and we need to go back to the word and, and he opens that again and helps us to understand what he's doing. So it's, uh, it's my prayer that as we proceed through today that um, we will have moments of clarity and uh, understanding of just what we need to do um, with these expectations, these things in our lives that um, aren't being fulfilled and what to do about them. You know, expectations are interesting because there are things that we look forward to, there are things that we're thinking, uh, think are going to happen, um, we hope are going to happen, something that we're looking forward to. It means to, you know, to anticipate either, either with eagerness or with dread sometimes. I mean, sometimes we have expectations of things that we're dreading also. But uh, most of the time, I think we have uh, expectations of good things. So we're looking forward to that in a positive way. And uh, I think expectations for women or for anyone really are normal. That's, I think God made us that way to look forward to things. He tells us to expect his coming, to look forward to him and to look forward to heaven. So he, he has made our hearts and our souls even to look forward to expectations and to look forward to that day. But there are times when expectations can be a stumbling block to us as well. You know, it's all great when we have an expectation for something and everything turns out better than we thought and it's just great and it's just like, woohoo! And then, but when we have expectations for things and they don't turn out like we want them to or the way we thought it was going to be and we're disappointed or discouraged, then what do we do? with that then you know we've got all this stuff now it's okay to deal with it you know when we're happy about things but you know when we have all these this these negative responses or sinful responses um, how do we get over that because the situation needs to it may not change and so how can we give God glory when it's it's different than we thought it was going to be and so that's the purpose of our time together. And, um, you know, I, I think that it will, you know, we've all experienced these kinds of things. I don't think that anything I'm going to tell you isn't anything that you haven't gone through yourself. 
And uh, you know, I know that I have, I feel like I'm kind of the queen of expectations, <laughs> it's, but I don't think I'm any different than any of you. I know that um, I, as I've talked with women about these things, that everyone deals with this area in their lives. Um, when I was a little girl, I felt like I was always falling prey to the expectation monster, you know, where I would just, you know, it would pounce on me on, at birthday parties or whatever, you know, I always just wanted the perfect little birthday party, and then it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't match up to my expectations, you know, and so I would be all sad, you know, 10 years old, it's like, it wasn't as wonderful as I thought it was going to be, or, you know, we have those those things where we kind of build up our hopes and our thoughts about stuff. And, uh, you know, usually my, my typical response to that was I would get bummed out and kind of, you know, mope around and, you know, or whatever, um, because it, it didn't match up. And of course, the degree of my bummer was how great my expectations were. You know, if I had a lot of expectations and I was really bummed out and, you know, otherwise, you know, and sometimes you just have that little mopey thing and other times you have a big, you know, depression really in your response to expectations. Um, I have found, you know, that not only to events, you know, whether it's even just a fun thing like, you know, a birthday party or things that we're thinking um, maybe that we're dreading, like a doctor's appointment or something like that. But, you know, we have expectations for the people in our lives. You know, I have expectations for my poor, dear, long-suffering husband that, uh, you know, when we're traveling around and doing errands together, I have expectations of the route he should take because, of course, I know the best way. And, um, and he has a own thoughts about that which is always surprising to me and and so then I have to uh, you know how am I going to respond when he he goes the way that oh you mean you're going to go that way I notice your blinkers on that means you're turning left and I usually go straight here because it's faster and uh, he'll say well I want to go this way and and so then what's my response going to be am I going to pout because he didn't take my suggestion um, you know, so there we have expectations for people. I have expectations, you know, about the family vacations. Maybe that's how you are too. You know, Norman Rockwell scene. That's always what I, every year I, I deal with that, where I just imagine what it's going to be like when we're all together and we're all talking and having this wonderful time and the firelight and rosy cheeks and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, of course, it doesn't ever happen that way. You know, and it's just hard enough getting everybody together and talking. You know, everybody's tired and p kids go to bed way later than Jack and I do. And, you know, how does that all work? Um, and so what am I going to do when things don't turn out the way I think they're going to be? And now um, our kids are, our youngest is going to be 17 next month. And then we have a 19-year-old, 17-year-old uh, boy, 19-year-old boy, and our daughter is going to be 21 next week. And what I have discovered is I had expectations about what they were going to look like, you know, as, as adults. And of course, Jack and I, being the wise parents that we are, we, I thought that they would have all of our same convictions and that they would think the same way as we did because, of course, we raised them. And it's so surprising to find out that they have their own ideas. <laughs> and it's really been interesting to me to, how, how am I going to respond when I find out that our kids have different opinions than we do? Shocker, you know, and um, how can I be gracious with my kids when they, you know, they think it's okay to do whatever, and Jack and I are like, what? <laughs> That's not how we raised you, you know, <laughs> and it's not that it's sinful, it's just that they have their own ideas. Um, I found out uh, a few years ago that I expected that our kids would be healthy. Um, our daughter got sick about uh, four and a half years ago with uh, a headache that just has never left. She has it 24 hours a day for four and a half years, and it has never left. And I discovered when she first got sick, as I was dealing with that, that I expected our kids to be healthy. I didn't expect that God would make them deal with physical affliction. I fully expected that he would do that to me, which is fine. But I didn't think that he would do that to our kids because prior to that time, we were never in the emergency room. Our kids never went to the doctor. And so it just seemed like that wasn't going to be what the Lord had asked of us. 
And uh, so I had to deal with that. How am I still going to trust God when my daughter's life looks less or different than I thought it was going to be? Um, I found that I have expectations about my walk with the Lord, really, that I thought, um, you know, I think I'm going to be way more godly than I really am. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe you have expectations about what you think your walk with the Lord is going to look like. That is you, well, of course, I know that I'll struggle with this. But by the time I've been walking with the Lord for this many years, I will be like this. And then, you know, and I have done that all through my walk with the Lord. And every time I get to kind of my milestone, I realize I am not looking anything like I thought I was going to look like. And, uh, and so we have expectations about that. You know, it's not that um, I'm surprised that I sin. It's just that I'm surprised that I sin with the sins that I do. It's kind of like, oh. I thought I would be over that one by now. It's okay if I, you know, have this sin, but this one, how come I'm still struggling with that or whatever? And so sometimes we have expectations even about um, our walks with the Lord. Uh, Answered prayer is another one. Expectations for what we think that the Lord is going to do uh, in our lives or with other people or how he's going to answer our prayers. And of course, we're always thrilled when he agrees with us, when he, he answers our prayers with a yes. You know, that makes it easy. But what, when, what about when God says no, or when he doesn't answer at all, when he says wait, and you're waiting? Um, you know, how are you going to respond that way? We have expectations about that. Um, and, you know, I, my husband's a pastor, so, you know, I have expectations for him. He should be perfect because he's a pastor. <laughs> my husband's a man, and, uh, and so that means he's not perfect. And this always surprises me because, you know, I always think that he's going to be just perfect, too. Uh, and, and so, you know, we just, we have expectations for people and situations, what we think that God is um, going to do in our lives. And those are just some of mine, but I, hopefully you've discussed, you know, you're, as I'm talking, you're thinking, oh yeah, that's, those are some of the things that I struggle with as well. Because I am sure that in a room this size, there's at least one person who can relate to me. <laughs> And so what I want to do now is um, just talk about what's at the root of our unmet expectations. What's there um, at the bottom? And I think if you have notes, you, we've got those in the notes section. Um, and you can fill it out. I, just, I don't give a lot of uh, fill-in-the-blank kinds of things. I want you to just write down what works for you, what you remember, what's going to make a difference for your walk with the Lord. Well, what's at the root of all of our unmet expectations, our responses to our unmet expectations? I think it can be traced back to discontentment. Uh, I think it's at the bottom of everything. It's at the basis of that. And um, when other sins pop up in our lives, it's because there's discontentment at the root of it. And discontentment is that, that feeling of wanting to improve your situation, of wanting something better or something different. It's, um, you know, and it does, I do feel like that I am discontent. When, if I trace it back, I can realize, you know, when I'm thinking about my responses to, you know, this situation, I realize I'm discontent with my lot, with what God has given me. I don't like this situation. And so that's discontentment. And so then there's that struggle in, in me. What is it? You know, I'm trying to get over that. I, don't, I want to be content, but I'm not there yet. And so that's the struggle that ensues as we're trying to um, have a right, right attitude. Uh, to be discontent means to be dissatisfied. So if we're thinking about that, it's a dissatisfied with our current situation. Uh, Thomas Akempis, who... Uh, was uh, lived in the 1300s he said why are you disquieted why are you upset because it um, because these things happen not to you according to your wishes and your desires um, who who is he that has everything according to his will not you or me or any man upon the earth and that's a great a great quote and it shows us that nothing has changed 
over you know, 800, 900 years, people are still dealing with this. People are still disquieted, dissatisfied in their souls when things don't go according to plan. So it's nothing new, and it's was certainly going to be things that people struggle with even after we go to be with the Lord. First uh, Samuel 22.2 describes discontentment as bitter of soul. Um, discontentment with our situation, whatever it can be, can manifest itself by longing or yearning for something, by pining away, uh, by being wishful or nostalgic. Uh, discontentment with our situation or circumstances says, this is what God has given me, but I don't like it. I deserve something better, or I want something different than what, I, what I've received. And discontentment with our situation will cause us to argue and say, my way is better than God's. I deserve better than what he's given me. Or it can crop up in our lives with, with uh, responses like this. I don't have what I want. I want more, I want that, or I want what they have. And most of the time, we don't say that. The, I mean, the, the, we, don't, we don't ever use those words. We're, we're careful about the things that we say and how we verbalize those things. But really, if we were to look at the secret places of our heart, that's what's going on on the inside, isn't it? Where we have to be, um, where we're just honest at looking at what's going on in the basic, the bottom of our hearts. And whether we speak those words out loud or not, or just mull them over and think about them, they're going to eventually, if we keep them, keep it up and keep thinking about those things, it is going to show up in our lives. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit later. But um, we can find instances of discontentment in the scriptures, uh, which is great because the Bible is full of people who were discontent. And so it just, again, shows us that we're not unique. Um, but it began in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Um, was, as Satan tempted her, um, she, he tempted her to think that she was missing out on something. She was dissatisfied. She was discontent. She wanted more. Now think about this. Eve was created perfect. There wasn't any sin. She had the perfect situation. She had the perfect life. She had the perfect husband. And she was discontent. So, you know, think about it. We're this many years since the fall. It's no wonder that we struggle with this, right? If Eve did, think about us. Of course we're going to struggle with that because you know she wanted something new improved and better and we do too those are, those are things that we struggle with Abraham's wife Sarah um, was grew impatient with God's timing for her life uh, in Genesis 16 uh, she she thought that um, she would have children God had promised that they would have children that their God would make them into a mighty nation and Abraham was married to her so that meant the kids are coming through her and um, so she's waiting and she's waiting and she doesn't have children she doesn't have children and of course she's expecting that God is going to answer that prayer and uh, she grew impatient with God's timing so much so that uh, she decided she would help God figure things out and so uh, she gave her maid Hagar to Abraham which caused a whole chain of events that created much uh, terrible many terrible things that happened as a result of that but her discontentment with her situation that God was having her wait made her impatient with God's timing and it, it caused a whole chain of events and so um, we see that she struggled with that. Jacob's wife, Rachel, um, also suffered from barrenness like Rachel, or Sarah did. And Rachel expected to bear Jacob children as well. But God had other plans for her. He made her wait also. And her waiting, also, she also uh, grew discontent with the waiting time. So much so that she actually grew frantic and desperate over her situation. And she told Jacob in Genesis 30, verse 1, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children, or I'm going to die. I mean, that was her response to that situation. She grew so discontent and frantic and desperate that she actually just thought, I'm going to die if I don't have children. And she was very discontent with her situation. She blamed Jacob for her barrenness and considered that her happiness was conditional on being able to produce a child. And she considered that her happiness would be found if only her situation in life would change. 
Does that sound familiar? You know, we think we need to, you know, just if only I had a change in my life situation, then everything would be better. Um, you know, and if ever there was a woman with unmet expectations, it's Job's wife. In uh, Job chapters 1 and 2, bless her heart, you know, she had everything, really. The Lord blessed them so much. She had a beautiful home. She had lots of wonderful kids. They all lived nearby. She didn't have to go anywhere to meet, see her grandkids because everybody lived close by. Um, they had servants. They had a place in society. They had financial stability. They had their health. They had everything. And then in one day, it was all gone. Everything. And she just looked at her life, and as she's trying to adjust to that, and she didn't like what she saw. You know, she was grieving, and she was struggling with that. But her response to her, her situation was, as she told Job, curse God and die. Her, her response to her situation, just their expectations for her life, was that she thought it was all going to stay. And when it didn't, then she gr grew bitter. She grew so bitter that she just wanted to turn against the Lord, and she wanted Job to turn against the Lord as well. Um, in the book of Esther, Haman is another example of great discontentment. And in Esther chapter 5, we learned that uh, the king had given Haman power and prestige in his court, but even that wasn't enough. In verse 13 of Esther 5, it says, Yet all this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And what the situation was there was Mordecai would not bow before Haman because Mordecai only bowed before the Lord, before God. He didn't worship any other man. And Haman, even though he had been given more riches and honor, power and prestige than any other person in the kingdom below the king, that wasn't enough because there was one person that wouldn't honor him. And so for Mordecai, it wasn't enough. None of that satisfies me every time I see him. It just rankled in his soul because it wasn't enough. He wanted more. It was discontentment that led the Israelites to complain that God's provision of daily manna wasn't enough. You know, just food that rained from heaven for 40 years every single day for them. And uh, Numbers 11.1 1 says, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them, and they consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And in verse 4, if we continue down, it says, And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone, and there is nothing at all to look at except this manna. And they were discontented with God's provision for them. God had provided for them. He had provided daily food. He had provided water. He even had provided meat for them. And yet it wasn't what they wanted. There wasn't enough variety. There wasn't enough change. And so they complained against the Lord. In 2 Samuel 11, it's obvious that David was discontent with about something in his life when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He wasn't content to go to battle in the springtime like the kings usually did during that time. Usually they would, in wintertime, they wouldn't go to battle because of the snow and all the army would be at home. And then in the spring, that's when they would all go to battle. Well, David didn't. He wasn't content to do what he was allotted to him. Instead, he stayed home, and he just hung out at the palace, kind of got bored, played video games, who knows what. Um, but his boredom created more discontentment in his life. And when he saw Bathsheba, rather, um, you know, she was bathing, and he caught, caught a glimpse of her, he, rather than confessing his lustful thoughts about her and turning to one of his many wives to be comforted and uh, to be, have that need taken care of, because he had seven wives at the time and many concubines, it's not like he needed another one, um, but he sought out Bathsheba and actually led her into sin as well. And whatever it was that what David was seeking, he didn't find it. 
You know, his lack of contentment with his position, he's king, he has everything, but he still wasn't content. He was discontented with his lot, his position, his circumstances, and all of that fed into a cascade of circumstances that brought disaster upon the nation and upon himself personally. So discontentment is a common problem, and it's a human problem, it's a woman's problem, it's all of our problem, and we all struggle with it at one time or another. Proverbs 27.20 provides insight into our hearts of what causes this. It says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. And if we don't understand this about our character, then we're never going to be able to deal with this. If we, if we don't understand that our souls, just even our hearts, our sinful nature desires more. And if we don't understand that about ourselves, then we're never going to quite understand why we're never satisfied, why we always want more, why we're, why we're struggling with some of these things. If we understand that part of our heart, then we know how we can begin to fill up our heart in a proper way that gives glory to the Lord. The Apostle John understood this about man's nature in 1 John 2, uh, 15 through 17. He says, don't love the world or the things of the world. Um, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that in the, is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Discontentment is manifested as a lusting after the things of the world, the things our eyes see, the things our, our hearts desires, and it can become an idol in our lives. And John says that that kind of desire, that kind of lusting after those things is not from God, but is from the world. And is this the kind of ultimate discontentment, this, um, this lusting after everything but after the things of God? Um, it takes our sat- eyes off Christ and takes, makes something else other than Christ our satisfaction. If we don't find our contentment in him and in him alone, then we are going to be discontented, aren't we? So what we need to do is make sure that our soul is filled up with him um, rather than in something else by him. But we, you know, we, we do struggle with this. Uh, we struggle with discontentment in some area. And a lot of times it may not be in some of the ways that I've described earlier, but it can be where we have these if only kinds of thoughts that show up in our lives. If only I had more money. If only I were pretty. If only I were short. If only I were thin. If only I were tall. If only I were married. If only I were single. If only I had children. If only I didn't have any children. If only I had healthy children. If only I had a job. If only I didn't have this job. If only I had that spiritual gift. If only uh, she was my friend. If only I had that house. If only I had a house. If only I could buy whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. If only, if only, if only. They, they become a refrain in our minds. And the list goes on and on. It changes from day to day, from year to year. And the if onlys can tempt us to find our satisfaction in things other than Christ if they become the constant refrain of our hearts. You know, a one-time if only is not going to do too much damage. But when it stays in our minds, then that becomes what our hearts are made of, that if only refrain. And the if onlys, if they stay in our hearts, can that's what produces the fruit of discontentment in our lives. And so what we need to do is we're going to spend some time just looking at what that fruit is. And so we can recognize it and trace it back to that root of discontentment. Because oftentimes, I don't know about you, but it, sometimes it takes me a little while to recognize, oh, that fruit in my life is really leading back to discontentment. Sometimes it takes me a while to look at that and realize, you know what, that thing that's showing up in my life, that's really pretty ugly. And that what is causing that ugly thing to show up in my life so yeah i have to figure it out so that's what we're going to do we're going to try and figure out what what this fruit is and look at take a look at some of these things because the fruit that shows up in our lives is just a symptom it's the outgrowth 
of the root of discontentment in our hearts. And uh, oftentimes we're not aware that there's that root of discontentment until we see the fruit grow. Well, you all, you know, if you've done any gardening, you know that it takes a while for something to grow from seedling to bearing fruit, you know, depending on what it is, even if we just take something that grows fast, like a tomato, it still takes all summer long before you get the fruit. That's, you know, so a lot of times the things that we're seeing in our lives, by the time it shows up as uh, fruit in our lives, it's been probably in our heart for a while. So that's why when we, it finally shows up as fruit, we need to deal with it because it's, it's getting ugly by then. Um, so one of, the, you know, one of the things I realized when our daughter got sick four and a half years ago, um, and I finally realized that I had expectations that I thought that God was going to, that he was going to allow our kids to be healthy. I knew God would bring trials into our kids' lives. That, and I didn't have a problem with that. I just didn't think he was going to do it by physically afflicting them. And uh, so, but then the, the struggle that I had of coming through that where I was uh, dealing with basically grieving over the loss of what her life was going to look like, how it's changed, that was fruit that was showing up with my discontentment over what God was doing. It was, I was, uh, the fruit was uh, grief, depression, um, trying to get out of the situation. Because um, I realized that, and when I realized that, um, that I was actually um, living out the fruit, that the fruit was in my life there, that there was something deeper in my heart. And that's when I, I thought, there's got to be something. I've got to deal with this because it's ugly and it's, it's keeping me from moving on and being able to give glory to the Lord. And, uh, you know, maybe there's something like that in your life where you're just realizing you know what, I think I might have some fruit like that in my life that I can trace back to that root of discontentment. So, um, you know, there are situations um, which are more prolonged in our lives, you know, where uh, there is something that's happening. Like for, for me, with my daughter, she's been sick now for four and a half years. And so it's a constant battle for me. I have to keep going back to the Lord to keep making sure that I am dealing with that root of discontentment. I don't want my daughter to not feel well. I want her to be healthy. And yet if I don't deal with my, that attitude in a correct way, it can turn to feeling like the Lord is not righteous or kind or just. So I have to deal with that in a correct way. And uh, I think that's what happens a lot of times with our lives. If we're just, if we're not looking, taking it back to what's at the root of it, we, um, we can grow discontent. So I have nine uh, ways that uh, that root of discontentment can show up as fruit in our lives. Um, and I'm just going to tell you these, uh, and maybe you can see, maybe you can recognize maybe some of those in you. you may, just because you uh, see some of these things doesn't mean it's a, it can be traced back to discontentment in your life. It, there may be another reason why maybe some of these fruit is showing up in your life, but it might be discontentment. And so it needs to be, you need to look at it and see what it is. So um, the first one is remember that discontentment can literally mean bitterness of soul. So discontentment can show up as bitterness in your life. Bitterness is described as resentment, great envy. It's, um, it's sharp. It's utter despair. It's painful. Um, remember the two women of... Um, when they came to King Solomon, and there were the two women, they they had uh, they had both had babies. One uh, one baby had died. The women were arguing over, no, that one's it's my baby, and the lady, no, it's my baby, and um, and the one said, no, her she her baby died in the night, and so she got up in the middle of the night and took my baby. And there was you know people didn't know what to do, and King Solomon said, all right, fine then what we're going to do is we're going to cut the baby in half and then we'll give you, each of you will get half a baby and I'll be fine. Well, the real mother, the one um, who the baby really did belong to, she said, no, spare the baby's life. Give her the baby. 
And uh, because she, she wanted to spare her child's life. The woman whose child um, died and she actually stole the baby from that woman, she said, fine, let's do that. And she was so bitter over her circumstances that she was willing to have the other woman's child die because she didn't want anyone else to have something that she didn't have. That's bitterness of soul. That's what bitterness looks like. It's awful, and it's, it's terrible to feel, and it's terrible to, to experience, and to be um, even having other people go through with you. So discontentment can show up as bitterness. Discontentment can show up as anger, impatience, irritability. Um, we can be angry with God or others over a situation where, you know, it's like, you didn't meet my needs, or you, God, you didn't do what I wanted. And so we're angry or irritable, grouchy, um, you know, some of those things that show up. We can uh, become depressed or bummed out when things turn out differently than we expected. When this happens, we might, um, you know, cry over our circumstances or the lost opportunities or maybe mope around about um, not being given something that we think is necessary for our happiness. So depression or uh, discontentment can show up as bitterness, anger or impatience, um, depression or moping. Um, it can show up as disunity or conflict. Um, can even result from unmet expectations. You know, someone doesn't meet our expectations and we get in a huff or talk with them about it and then they don't respond well and we get mad at them and there's conflict. There's, there's not unity in our relationships with other people. And we actually get mad at them because they're not doing what we want them to do and la 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 la. Um, we can um, also show, a, discontentment can show up in a form of pouting um, which can range from slamming doors, you know, to being in a huff, to the silent treatment, um, holding grudges. Um, when we're disappointed, when we're discontent with our situation, we might pout about things. And of course, I think that, you know, this probably happens to women back east much more than it does here. But, uh, you know, those kinds of things were much more grown up than that. We would never pout. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's that your husband walks in the house and, how are you doing? Fine. You know, that one. You know, that's a pouting thing. There's something going on there that we're trying to communicate. All, everything is not fine. And I want you to pick up on that. Uh, so we have pouting. Uh, the sixth kind of fruit is jealousy or, and coveting. Those are more fruits of discontentment. We are jealous, envious, or covetous of the blessings of others, that are other people's situations, what's going on in their lives, and we want what they have. Uh, we believe we deserve what they have, or we don't, want, we don't have what we want, and so we want someone else's. You know, all kinds of things can happen when we are jealous or covet what other people have. Another fruit of discontentment shows up as not trusting God or not trusting people. Um, you know, that kind of the basis of that is, you know, you hurt me, and so I'm not going to trust you anymore. You let me down. You didn't meet my expectations. And so we don't trust the Lord. We don't trust other people. Uh, the eighth kind of fruit, hypocrisy, which uh, kind of can go along with pouting. Um, it pretends that everything is fine, but inside we know it's not. Um, that's a discontentment there with our, our current situation. We're not even willing to call it what it is and to identify it. And the ninth thing is, uh, I think discontentment can also show up as fear or anxiety in our lives. Uh, you know, we go fearful when things don't turn out the way we thought they would. Um, maybe we get controlling or respond with, you know, you can never be too safe. Um, or we mentally begin to think, you know, what might happen? This happened before, something else is going to happen. It always happens that way. Um, I don't know if I can trust that situation or trust them. Uh, what else is, going, is God going to bring into my life? And so we're fearful. We're anxious about our situations. And, um, you know, I'm sure that there are other kinds of fruit. Those are, those are the first ones that came to my mind. Those are the ones I've seen in my life. Uh, maybe you have your own little list or extra things that you um, could add to that. But the point is, is just to be able to begin to identify what are these things. These are, these are things that show up in our life. These are, this is a fruit of sin. 
and it's showing up in our lives in different ways at different times, and so it's time to get over it. How can we do that? How can we get over it? But first of all, I think one of the best things for getting over things is to recognize, oh, there is sin in my life. I didn't, I didn't realize there was sin there. Everyone else noticed it. No, I just didn't. You know, and, it, and so if we recognize that there's sin there, then, then we can begin to deal with it. It's like, oh, okay, let's call it what it is, and then we can move on. So uh, one of the things I, you know, we recognize, too, is that um, you know, we have... We can't ever correct wrong thinking if we aren't aware that we're thinking wrongly about things. And so that's kind of what we're doing here because wrong thinking affects our actions. And so we, we need to make sure that we're thinking rightly about our situations and what's happening in our lives. So I would wager, if you are anything like me, that right now, some of you, there's probably at least a handful of you are thinking, I am not going to have expectations anymore. I'm done. I am just going to live the rest of my life without expectations, and then I won't have this kind of fruit anymore. Which is exactly what um, I would I would like to do, except I've tried it, and it doesn't work. And I still have expectations about not having expectations, you know, that, that I would be able to overcome having expectations. And I'm still not able to do that. You know, um, if I were more godly, then I wouldn't get all bent out of shape. I would be beyond needing help in this area. Um, but the fact is, is I'm a sinner. I'm going to continue to be a sinner until the Lord takes me home to be with him. So that means I still am going to struggle with areas in my life. And so are you. We're all going to continue to struggle with these areas in our lives until the Lord takes us home. Does that mean it's going to be as hard every time? No. Um, we are going to, we're going to learn how to deal with areas in our lives maybe faster, but, but there's still going to be things that are going to take our breath away. There's still going to be things that come up in our lives where we just didn't realize, I had an expectation about this. I didn't think this is what God would do. And so we are going to still have to learn how to overcome our unmet expectations. So if our responses to unmet expectations are caused by discontentment, then the answer to overcoming those wrong responses lies in contentment, doesn't it? Being content. And contentment means to be satisfied it means um, that if something is sufficient, it's full, it's adequate, it's, it meets every need, it fills all the holes. Um, and when you are content, you don't need other things or other people or the other circumstances to make you happy. And as believers, we know why that is. Uh, Philippians 1.21, Paul says, To me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And it is because the Lord is our all in all um, that we're able to say that. And with, with him to satisfy us, we don't need anything else. The problem is, is that we aren't all that consistent. Paul was able to say that, but I'm not that consistent in my life to be able to say every single day, um, to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I have moments like when I'm driving along the freeway and I pop out of the fog that I can say, oh, Lord, you satisfy me. But then there's a situation that comes up the next. I drive back into the fog I'm, and there's a situation where I find I'm not being content with Christ. It's, he's not enough for me right now because if he was, I wouldn't be struggling with this. And so it's that whole if only list again, isn't it? The if only I was thin, if only I was you know, taller or shorter, or if only my circumstances would change, if only my daughter were healthy, or if only uh, my husband were a believer, if only, if only all of those things um, that cause us to focus on our circumstances or something different in our lives rather than focusing on being satisfied in the Lord. And what's wonderful, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians 12. If you don't have a Bible, just sidle up and squeeze up next to somebody else who does. Um, 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, we can actually read Paul getting over his if-onlys, which I love that the Lord put this in the Bible for us. Because, you know, Paul, he's the guy who said, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So you just think, well, Paul is never going to, he doesn't understand the if-onlys, but he does. So 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 Paul said, and what he's describing here is he's talking about um, that the Lord actually took him out into the desert after Paul became a Christian, and the Lord had already died, and yet um, the Lord took Paul out into the desert and taught him out there alone, so Paul got to see the risen Christ and spend time with him. And he taught him all kinds of things. And so Paul is describing that in the beginning of verse 12. And he's, he doesn't even know how to describe it. In verse uh, 2 he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. He's trying to describe what happened to him. And so he, he does, he's not even sure. But in verse 7 he, he says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from exalting myself and so what the Lord did is because Paul had spent that time with the Lord and it was wonderful and to keep him from growing too big for his britches then the Lord cause this affliction to come upon him it's a thorn in the flesh some kind of painful thing that Paul didn't like it says in verse 8 concerning this I implored implored the implored the Lord three times that it might leave me and what we, that tells us is Paul didn't like this situation he didn't like this thorn in the flesh this painful situation in his life it hurt and he wanted it gone whatever it was we don't know exactly what it might have been but it was enough that it caused Paul where he's like if only this would be gone if only my circumstances would change I'm sure he was feeling like if only this thorn in the flesh was out of my life I could be so much more effective for the Lord if only I could do that because then I could do this I could do this and, uh, and so he implores the Lord about it. And he, he says that he talked to the Lord about it three times. Now, I don't know about you, but I think three times shows a lot of self-control. <laughs> because I, there have been situations in my life where I've talked to the Lord about it. Lord, please take it away. Please fix it. Please, please, please. And what, does, uh, what do we read the Lord said? my grace is sufficient for you the Lord said no the Lord said no I'm not going to take it away and so Paul's if only situation God said no that if only situation is not going to change it's going to stay in your life and my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness and so what he's saying is, is your weakness is actually better for you your circumstance that you wish I would change is actually better for you. And so listen to how Paul responded. Verse 9, he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. Not only was Paul content with his situation after that, he was well content. And what was he content in? He was content in the power of Christ. He was content in his weaknesses. Not because he liked being weak, but he liked the power of Christ helping him. He liked that God's grace was sufficient in his life. That it was enough to sustain him in a difficulty that he faced. And so when God doesn't respond like we think he will, or when we, um, we need to find our comfort in the Lord, just like Paul did, by remembering that God's grace is sufficient for us, that his power is made perfect 
in our weakness. You know, so often we, you know, have physical kinds of afflictions, and maybe some of you struggle with that. If you, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, or maybe your back is, is not good, or there's different kinds of things that you're struggling with, and you just think, if only I felt better, I could do more for you, Lord. And yet the Lord says, no. If I want you to lean upon my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Some of you have uh, situations in your life that are so painful. You just, you want it to be gone. And God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness, in your distresses, in your difficulties. Because for my sake, I've given these things to you that your, my power would be made strong, made perfect in your life. Uh, Philippians 4, 10 through 13 provides us with another example of Paul choosing to find his satisfaction in the Lord rather than his if-onlys. So if you want to turn to Philippians 4, verse 10. And there Paul is talking about... Uh, just finding, having every need met. He was going without. He, there were times in his life when he was hungry. He didn't have a place to sleep. He didn't have enough clothing. He was cold. There was all kinds of situations in his life where he needed the Lord to take care of him. And uh, verse 10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last, now at last, you have revived your concern for me, which tells us that there was a time just not too in the not too recent past where people hadn't been paying attention. He'd been needing some attention and people weren't meeting the needs that Paul had. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord that you have now re revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. For whatever reason, the Philippians weren't able to meet Paul's physical needs and to help him. And then, and then verse 11, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, because he's learned that my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. He's learned to be content. And I love it that Paul says he's learned to be content. It wasn't like he was just born with it or it was just a spiritual gift and Paul got it and the rest of us didn't. Paul learned to be content in his circumstances. And that means we can learn contentment in our circumstances too. In our if-only situations, we can learn that as well. And he learned that because... He learned to lean on the Lord by strengthening himself in the Lord. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, if you want to turn there just real quickly. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews reveals the antidote to discontentment. And he says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Why does he want us to be content with what we have? For Jesus Christ himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And what this teaches us is that we can find our contentment in the Lord, in our circumstances, to be content with what we have, because the Lord said he will never desert us. He will never forsake us. That he is our helper. We don't need to be afraid of the things that we are feeling like, oh, I just can't do without this. I cannot give up Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, some people are so funny about that. But it can, be, it can become a real crisis where we think, I can't give that up. And yet the Lord is our helper. We don't need to be afraid of giving it up if that's what the Lord asks. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He will never leave me or desert me. And so no matter what our circumstances, no matter what expectation, unmet expectations we may face, we can find true contentment if we remember that he will never leave us or forsake us. 
Um, you know the you know the munchies that you get around three thirty or four. I don't know, maybe I that's what I get. You know, around three thirty or four o'clock, and you know dinner's coming up, and you're going to be cooking dinner pretty soon, or maybe you already are, but you're still hungry. And so I, this is what I do. I don't know if maybe you guys are like this too. You go to the fridge, you look in the fridge. Nothing really looks all that great. You know, you close the fridge. You go to the pantry. You look in the pantry. Nothing really looks all that great. I have a secret stash, so I go to my secret stash drawer, nothing looks all that great. I go back to the fridge, look in there again. You know what I mean, where it's kind of like you're, you've got the munchies, you want something, but when you look there, there's tons of things that could satisfy it, and yet nothing really looks like it will. There's, it's just like, mm, no, it's not quite right. And yet, so a lot of times, usually what you probably do and what I do is you just decide, I'm not gonna eat anything. You just drink a glass of water and keep cooking. And then you eat, and then you eat your dinner. The dinner that you made, and it's your, your well-rounded dinner. You know, you've got your protein and your starch and your carbohydrates, and it's everything you're supposed to have in your dinner. And you're satisfied. That munchy feeling that you had before, that, that kind of dissatisfaction that I need a little something, it's gone because you've eaten what you're supposed to. You're satisfied. And that's, you don't need anything else. And that's what this, what we're talking about here, where we're satisfied in the Lord, where that, that munchy feeling that I need something else other than the Lord, we, when, we, when we're going to all of these other things, looking for the munchies, all these other things. We need to find our contentment in the Lord. We need to eat our meal of the Lord, of spending time with him. Psalm 90 verse 14 talks about this. We're memorizing this, uh, this psalm in our Bible study. And uh, it says in Psalm 90 verse 14, Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. And in this, the psalmist is Moses, and he's asking that the Lord would help him to be satisfied, which is a great thing for us to do. Lord, help me to find my contentment in you. Help me to be satisfied in you. And, help, and he's saying, help me to be satisfied, Lord, with your loving kindness. Lord, he's not saying, Lord, help me to be satisfied with a change in my circumstances. Lord, help me to be satisfied with all of these other things. He's saying, Lord, help me to be satisfied with you, with your loving kindness. Lord, help me to see that your loving kindness is enough to fill up my soul. I just love that, you know, that, that we can be satisfied in the very deepest part of our heart where only the Lord, the Lord is the only one who even knows that part of us. You can, we can't even communicate that to other people. We may try, but it's only the Lord who knows those longings, those needs that we have. He's the only one who can satisfy us and fill it up with his love. And what's the result of that satisfaction? That we will sing for joy and be glad all our days. It's not because our circumstances have changed. It's because he's our contentment. He's our joy. There's a hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. Um, it says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, nevermore. How he watches o'er his loved ones, died to call them all his own. How he, for them he intercedeth, watches over them from the throne. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best. Tis an ocean vast of blessing. Tis a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. That's, that's what the Lord is desiring from us. When he allows these if-only things in our lives, when things are different than we thought they were going to be, 
is because he is revealing that we are, fi- we are trying to find contentment in things other than him. And all he wants from us is to find our contentment in him. That we would be satisfied in him. That we would find our contentment and our joy in him. And so when we seek the Lord and look to him to be content, we're going to find answers of ways of diminishing, cutting off that fruit in our lives, that fruit of discontentment. So ask the Lord to be your all in all. Ask him to help you to be satisfied in him, and you'll be on your way to overcoming ungodly responses to the unmet expectations in your life. So let me pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, we can pray like Moses did, that we would be satisfied with your loving kindness in the morning. Lord, the first thing, before we even get out of the bed, Lord, help us to be satisfied in you, that you would be our joy, that we would sing for joy and be glad all our days. Lord, you are so good and gracious and kind. Help us just to continue on in our journey today. And I thank you for each one of these ladies. They are, I know they are dear to you, and I ask that you would meet them where they are and uh, help them to examine their own hearts and their relationship with you today. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.